Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Strike, the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast with a British twist. I'm your host, Paul, and it's going to be just me for this first section. The rest of the guys are going to join us later on in the episode, so we'll be joined by Tony, Craig and Josh. And you can see from the title what this episode's about, which is pretty much a given according to the time that we're recording this and when you're listening to it, but... We're going to talk about Spider-Man in this episode. Obviously, Homecoming's just released, and when the guys join me, we're going to review the episode. Hopefully, it'll be a little bit different to the review I did with Nick over at Dis After Dark. We did that really on the spur of the moment. Wasn't really given time to think about it. So, hopefully, this one, get a bit more input from the guys. Um, I've had time to sit and ruminate about the episode. But the reason why I'm doing this first bit, I wanted to, I wanted to do a bit, of, a bit more of a a fact-finding file sheet kind of thing. Um, you could call it that. Kind of looking at the the beginnings of Spider-Man as a character back in the in the, the Marvel comic days. So, so, starting with right at the beginning. Uh, in 1962, editor and writer Stan Lee was looking for a new character to introduce to the pages of Marvel Comics. Influenced by the popularity in comics from teenagers, he was looking for a character who these new readers could relate to. So obviously looking for a teenager. Uh, inspired by the, the pulp magazine Crime Fighter the Spider, a new hero was born. Despite what we know today, Spider-Man may never have appeared. Uh, Marvel publisher Martin Goodman didn't like the concept and was involved in arguments with Lee, eventually agreeing to try out for the character in what would be the final issue of Amazing Adult Fantasy, though that title was actually amended uh, for this issue to The Amazing Fantasy. Just for this one issue, Goodman believed giving that outlet in a defunct comic would get it out of Lee's system. Lee approached legendary artist Jack Kirby to design the Spider-Man. Kirby informed Lee back in the 1950s he had worked on a similar concept with Joe Simon called Silver Spider, an orphan boy who stumbled upon superpowers. Lee felt that with this background, Kirby was the exact person to be working with and gave him the go-ahead to flesh out the character. Lee was very wrong about this. Despite all of this, Kirby didn't, uh, Lee didn't like the style of Kirby's design, and after being shown the first six pages, decided to move on from Kirby. Stan turned to the man he had hired to be the inker on the story, Steve Ditko. The first thing Ditko turned his hand to was the costume Spider-Man would wear. He felt it was a vital part of the character. He did this before he even broke the character down. Ditko would complete all the interior work, but Lee would return to Kirby to draw the cover art, which was then inked by Ditko. Lee's version of the story was always backed up, though. Wasn't always backed up, though. Kirby always disputed that Stan had very little to do with the conception of Spider-Man and claimed it was actually the original story that himself and Joe Simon created back in the 50s that was the basis for Peter Parker. Simon would elaborate on that and confirm that, despite this, his character was actually the basis of The Fly, a character who featured in Archie Comics where Simon was creator. Simon believed that Lee just didn't like the design Kirby came up with, which was described as Captain America with webs. But it is also speculated that Goodman may have had a hand in it, who possibly believed that he felt that it was actually too similar to the fly. Later in life, Kirby mellowed on the situation and admitted he actually didn't know whose concept Spider-Man was, and his eventual popularity was through the efforts of multiple creators, not just one. After Spider-Man's first appearance in Amazing Fantasy 15, Goodman reviewed the sales figures and realised that this issue had become one of their highest sellers. Not a year later, The Amazing Spider-Man number 1 was published in March 1963, and he quickly became Marvel's biggest-selling hero. 
Born and bred in Queens, Peter Parker lived with his Uncle Ben and Aunt May, an intelligent student at Midtown High School. On a school trip to a science exhibit, Peter is bitten by a radioactive spider, granting him the proportionate strength and agility of said spider. Due to his knack of being a science whiz, he also created spider web spinning gauntlets, creating an adhesive substance allowing all the powers of a spider. Using his powers to become a small-time television star, sometimes portrayed as an amateur wrestler, while wearing the first version of a costume, but one day he refused to use those powers for good to stop a small-time petty thief, only for that lack of care to come back and bite him. When that thief robs and kills like his Uncle Ben, Pete learned that with great power comes great responsibility. As I said at the uh, the top of the episode, the, the main bulk of this episode is going to be our dissection of Spider-Man Homecoming, and as I mentioned... I am joined by the whole team, finally. First time this year, I believe. Hey! Um, so, hey. first of all, we've hey got up. Josh. Back Hello! From wonderful exams. Oh, don't, don't ask. Don't. <laughs> we've got Craig, who's finished driving his train, what, half an hour ago? No, I was in the Catholic Cathedral today, oh. uh, watching uh, Noah's Ark done as a musical. Oh. It was. And finally, Tony. Hello. So we're we're going to jump straight in, aren't we? I think I think this is going to be quite a an action-packed episode. So so let's start. Um, let's talk about the, the the lack of origin to start with. I think there's no origin story in this. Did the mm. the introduction in Civil War kind of make that redundant? Um, yeah, I think so. And in this, it was, it's one throwaway line, isn't it? About a dead spider or something? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And I thought, yeah, it's we didn't need it again, did we? We've seen it twice. Well, no, because yeah, I think the world, and, the world and his aunt knows Spider-Man's origin, don't they? So. Or the world and his Ant-Man. Very hot, aren't they? They've done the, the same thing with Batman in this reboot as well of Batman. You know, everyone knows we don't get his origin story in Batman v Superman either. No, we did. Well, I it was sort of like a so memory thing, wasn't it? Uh, no, I think I think it's good. It's allowed him to get straight on into showing us Peter as he is now. Yeah. Um, Civil War dealt with it in, in that previous one. So it was all six months ago. He's on YouTube. Everybody knows Spider Man's about. Boom! Let's just tell the story. Yeah. Yeah. And also on top of that, the, the lack of really any mention of Uncle Ben in there as well. Mm. Just, uh, just a fleeting moment where they kind of talk about it being a hard hard time since everything changed. And that was that was really it. There was no no kind of mention of him. Mm. The, can I just... The thing that struck me is he's pushing Tony Stark as his hero. And in all other iterations of Spider-Man, Uncle Ben is his hero and his reason for being who he is. He doesn't really go into it. I know it's one sentence, basically one throwaway line again. But his reason for being Spider-Man is to be like Tony Stark in this and not to just do right of, of his Uncle Ben. Yeah. So it mm. kind of covers the, the opening of, of the lack of that origin. Very early on in the film, obviously, we get our first glimpse of Adrian Toomes. Um, it's kind of front and centre of that opening act, um, but kind of in a, a very subdued 
moment, not the kind of full-out villain that, that you've come to expect already. Um, obviously set right at the end of the first Avengers movie. Um, so what were your first impressions of, of Tombs? Um, yeah, I liked him. And I liked that that sort of was flipped back in time a little bit to, to seeing some of the further impact of that Avengers movie and seeing people actually, well, trying to make a living on the back of it. Um, yeah, it just uh, yeah, like shows it. the way that Iron Man can be a good guy, but at the same time actually be the villain. Mm. He can be, he can be the creator of his own and other people's demons. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you feel about kind of the setup to the the whole story with it, with it being that whole damage control thing? Which obviously we, there was a chance we were going to see that as a TV series a few years ago. That's um, right, yeah. But has now obviously been set up as something uh, a lot more serious than it was it was meant to be in that TV series. Well, uh, again, definitely the old superhero films. There'd be no consequences for their actions. And again, we've seen this in the DC universe with Superman <laughs> flattening Metropolis and half the planet getting destroyed. The same here now in the Marvel universe. They're all accountable for their actions. There is repercussions. You know, the, the world nearly ended when all them aliens come streaming through and all this alien technology is left behind and I think it's it's just a, a more realistic time for superhero films, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mm. And I think having damage control is part of that. It, it's it's addressing the fact that, like they did with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that people do have to clean up their mess afterwards. Yeah. Because you actually saw it when uh, they did the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode for Thor The Dark World. When like London was just in absolute ruins, and he, mm. so I think I think someone said, "Who's going to clean all this up?" And to, I think Phil might have said, "Oh, don't worry, we've got a team for it." And I think that's where the whole damage control thing started. Where they said, "Oh yeah, we're probably going to make a telly show for this." Yeah, no, I agree. And also during those scenes, we also meet some of the side villains, but obviously they don't don't let us in yeah. a lot. Of what's going to happen with them, you don't really know who they are at that point. So we'll talk about them a bit later once yeah. once we've we've actually met them in their proper forms. So next, we kind of we move forward. We move to Civil War. Um, now, how did you feel about the like the homemade video stuff? Did I found it a little bit jarring as to to how it's filmed compared to the rest of the, the film? It kind of felt a little bit out of place. Mm. How you guys felt about it? I think it was pure, Josh will know better than anyone because he's obviously 18, but <laughs> that is the kids now. Everything the kids watch now is from the point of view vlog. of a handheld um, yeah. mobile phone. It's a vlog. It's very quick. It's short bursts. It is jarring. And yeah. This is the Spider-Man for this generation. So yeah. I thought it was totally acceptable and I'm glad however, that it wasn't carried on throughout the whole movie because it oh, would God, have been yeah. horrific. I'd, I'd, I think I might have actually walked out yeah. <laughs> if, that, if that had happened. Did any of I you mean, like you say, Craig, it is a generation thing. Yeah. Did any of you guys watch it before the film came out? Because they actually released it a, about a week beforehand. 
Yeah, I was oh, literally no, I about to no. go on to this. I was just about to say it is a generation thing, but the th- the reason I didn't actually enjoy it as much as I thought I would have was the fact that I had actually seen it before. Ah. If they'd have not released that as like a promo clip or whatever, I think I'd have walked in and gone, wow, that's cool, that. But I didn't. I sat there in the cinema going, I've seen all this. I'm, I'll just like... I'll I'll preoccupy myself with the woman sat next to me who's quite good looking for the next four minutes. <laughs> four minutes that long, eh? Yes. So not only was it uh, an introduction to Tom Holland Spider Man for people that possibly hadn't seen Civil War, it was also the reintroduction of Happy Hogan. Um Yay. I was gonna say, did did you feel that Happy belonged in this film? Um would you like to see him kind of continue that role as kind of being Peter's contact to the Avengers world uh, yeah I think I, it works really well yeah I think he was underused actually mm, if, yeah if anything we didn't see enough of him yeah mm. I think he was just cheaper than Tony Stark would have been <laughs> <laughs> yeah because let's be honest I think they both had equal screen time only for the fact that Robert Downey Jr. would have taken a lot more of this, the film's earnings from them than John Favreau mm. That's the only difference in characters. Yeah, kind of sticking with that point, I suppose we do have to bring up that it also introduces the the reappearance of the god of the MCU in Hmm. Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. It it kind of caught him at that point where he's quite clearly still affected by what's happened between him and Cap. Um, Yeah. And also, I think people were kind of unnecessarily worried about how much he was going to be in the film. Um and how, mm. that, how the film would would dicta- be dictated by that appearance. Um, I, I didn't feel it was it was unwarranted at all. I thought it worked really well. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I mean, because, of course, they rather cheekily used that Iron Man shot in the trailers, which was never even part of the film, Yeah, which kind of suggested it was going to be a buddy movie in some ways, and I'm glad it wasn't. The one where they're swinging through the street, you mean? Uh, well, he is, and Tony's flying, yeah, Iron Man's flying yeah. alongside him. Yeah, yeah, that one, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I was kind of thinking that, yeah. And it gave it that buddy movie feel, which I didn't really want, and we glad, thankfully we didn't get that. Yeah. Because, let's be honest, Vulture is not an Iron Man villain. He's not. <laughs> no. Stick to no. your own villains. So then, yeah. obviously, we move on. Pete's been left to his own devices for a few months. Uh, Stark and Hogan have, have left him on his own, not really contacted him. He's kind of doing the usual things that a genius 15-year-old boy would be doing. Um, and this is kind of where we start to meet his the, the main core of his friend, friendship group. So let's start by, by looking at the obvious one, his closest friend, Ned. Um, <laughs> played by Jacob Batlan. Um and he was actually an amalgamation of two characters from the comics. Um, oh. Originally, it was Ned Leeds. Uh, Leeds was the, the first part of the character. He was, he was created by Stanley and Steve Ditko back in issue number 18 of The Amazing Spider-Man um, in 1964, all, the, wow. all those years ago. Um, and Ned was actually a reporter at the Daily Bugle, uh, and he competed with Peter for the uh, affections of Betsy Brandt, who obviously also makes a small cameo in the film. Um, as the, the the host of the student news show um, at Midtown. And ah, he, that's who it was. And he actually eventually married her in the in the comics. But, ah. 
um, coming towards the end of his, his run in the in the comics, he actually was brainwashed and became the Hobgoblin um, and was murdered by a character called the Foreigner. Um, and then the other character that he was he was made up of it was a character called Gank Lee, um, who was an Asian classmate to, to the future Spider-Man, Miles Morales, who we'll obviously come on to a little bit later. Um, I've heard people say that they were a bit found Ned a bit annoying at times um, and he does repeat certain lines multiple times throughout the film which did become a bit, yeah. bit annoying but he was very cool as uh, the man in the chair should we say um, once mm. he found out that Peter was Spider-Man what did you guys get from the, from the character? I again I mean all that stuff you've just said there has just blown me away to me, it was just a sidekick because I obviously don't know the the backstory, and the, I know he was an amalgamation of two characters. Um, but that's he was a li- he was mildly annoying at parts, but his enthusiasm wouldn't we all be like that if your best mate was Spider Man? Absolutely, yeah. Effective glory. Yeah, see, I I, didn't, I didn't have any problems with him. Yeah, I really I think I enjoyed that... the. The kind of nerdy best friend. Yeah, I, we, yeah. I, was, I was disappointed we were just going back to scenes that were missing because the trailer had that scene with him wanting to try the mask or something, didn't it? Yeah, well, we and this we just see him with that, it on. Yeah. And I, I wanted to see that full scene again. I must have, you know, because it, it did make me hoot. But, yeah. but no, I, I really liked him as a character. And then when, when we got to see him on that bit with all the computers later on, that was a great little scene. Yeah. The, the great line of him telling the teacher that he was watching porn, <laughs> which was the best thing you could think of to get away with. Yeah, it was the best thing. The only man. problem was like, I'm sat in the cinema, cinema with me dad. <laughs> and, and he's, he's on the screen. He just turns around and goes, Oh, uh, I'm watching porn. And like, I'm just looking at me, looking at me dad, like me head in my hands going, Oh no, no, don't, don't ask me. Your dad knows what porn is, mate. Don't be soft. Come on. I just go going back to the whole uh, montage bit. That's the the. I think they had to do that because that really hammers home that he is your friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. This this whole film takes the MCU and shrinks it down to a neighbourhood, not a city. You know, in other Spider-Man films, you've got Spider-Man flying around the Empire State Building and, and you know, all the big uh, New York statues landmarks. and landmarks of New York. But this was the neighbourhood Spider-Man. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. That bit where he's given the, the old woman directions, I loved it. Well, it's very much a trait he shares with Daredevil, isn't it? They're very similar characters. Yeah. Well, they're very much focused. It's Queens, isn't it? And yeah, then yeah. Daredevil is Hell's Kitchen, uh, and they're very similar characters, I think, in that respect. And doesn't it make you sort of wish that the although Daredevil we've... was in one of the films, yes, <laughs> no, that Spider Man was on Netflix? Oh, yeah. <laughs> even a cameo, yeah, yeah. Just the whole series of Spider Man would be absolutely phenomenal. So, but carry on, sorry. So the, yeah. the next most important side character, I would say, was probably Liz. Um, played by mm. Laura Harrier, and despite the twist later yeah. on in the film, um, we're still kind of, kind of unsure as to who she actually is, as whether she is Liz Allen from the comics, or whether she's kind of 
a new character. She plays up to some of the traits of, of Liz Allen, but it's never kind of I've confirmed. had a theory about this. I Who is Liz Allen then for, for the amateurs? was Pete's first love interest in the comics. Yeah. Right, okay. He never actually I'm, did anything with her, though. He never, no. like, asked her out. He spoke to her, no, I think. She, she eventually married Harry Osborne. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Ah. Now, Harry Osborne doesn't even make an appearance in this film. But in the God. comics, he didn't meet him until he was in, in college. College, right. yeah. So, it's not really a surprise that we don't see him yet. Yeah, no, I've had a theory about Liz, right. Okay. With the twist, with regard to the twist... I thought he was getting his guitar then. <laughs> we get, she moves away with her mum. She takes her mum's maiden name. Her mum's maiden name is Alan. She is now Liz Alan because she is disgraced by her father. Possibly, yeah. Mm. I don't think it's the last we've seen of her either. No, Who's Liz Allen? Who's Liz Allen? Liz, Liz the character in the film, The Love Interest. Oh, okay. Is your head getting sent, Craig? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the girl he spends two hours falling over, mate, the entire film. Oh, is that her name, Liz Allen? In the comics. <laughs> that's well, she gets Liz. Liz yeah. Oh, that's what I mean. She's just Liz in the film, yeah. isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Let's just retain Craig's brain to sanity for a minute there. I've seen so many superhero films this year and my head's battered. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the last person I suppose we could call a friend in air quotes is is Michelle. Um, and again, we talk mm. about the twist later on regarding Zayanda's character. Um, but how did you like her take on what is a new outsider character, I suppose? Because as far as we're concerned, she still is a brand new character. Yeah. Mm. She, she is like, I think she's just a typical teenage outside kid. Like she's, she's not involved with a particular group. But she likes to hang in the vicinity of people to make it yeah. look like she's mates with them. Yeah. She, and she looked dog rough compared to how she scrubs up on the Disney Channel. <laughs> <laughs> Craig, I've told you, it's for kids, not you, okay? <laughs> well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> she was certainly more understated than I was expecting. She didn't have a lot of screen time either, to be fair, no, if, no. if she's who she is. No, me, like everybody, she thought she was going to be the love interest, I think. And, of course, she wasn't Yeah. when she was announced. Because what I was thinking was she was going to turn up at the homecoming party and she was going to look absolutely radiant. And then, like, Peter was going to say, oh, frig, Liz, I'm having it. <laughs> like, like Jane in Neighbours that time in uh, 1997. <laughs> Are you pulling the age card on me here? Come on. <laughs> I think me and you are the only two who remember that. <laughs> she took his glasses off and flicked her ear and bounced the dog's <laughs> lipstick popped out. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so, yeah, I thought we didn't see enough of her, actually. Yeah, she needed more screen time. For someone that was played up as the second highest build character... Mm-hmm. She was def- there was definitely a, a, a lack of screen time for her. So I think the the last kind of student we can we can really look at is is Tony Ravoli's uh, Flash Thompson. <laughs> so obviously not this... the not the typical bully that we've expected from kind of the comics and 
no, more of a, a, a wimp bully. Yeah, the, the physical I, oh no, version. I like them. Yeah. I like them. The He's a version. modern day bully. I'm not joking. He's the bully for the modern day. Yeah. He's, he, it's not physical. It's emotional. Yeah. I like it. And hmm. I also get the feeling you'd probably know this being the youngster. He feels like, to me, he feels like He's the kid that picks on the one person lower than him on the social rung. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, I mean, what the only, like, the only insult he can come up with for Peter is Penis Parker. Mm. That's it. That's the yeah. one thing that he shouts constantly throughout the entire film because he clearly hasn't got the brain capacity to think of anything else. Mm. The only thing he's got at his disposal is parents' wealth which he flashes, to make a pun, uh, around the people. That's the only reason people like him. <laughs> but he is, he's, he's a bully for the modern day teen. He's the Flash Thompson for the modern day. I, I really liked it. I did. I did That's I actually... Wanna, I want to bring up at this point as well that uh, Tony did receive death threats um, oh, no. regarding playing this character, and, and I think he's you done are it really joking. well. He did, yeah. <laughs> It's, I did see that story. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy, sad. It's just a yeah. film, guy. <laughs> I just want, I, w- I wanted to tweet him and say you did a brilliant job. Burn those letters. Mm. Well, you should tweet him. Tweet him from our account. <laughs> I bloody well will because he did a brilliant job. The thing is, I've I've listened to other reviews of this film on other podcasts. <laughs> And yours is the first, obviously, 18-year-old point of view. And it actually makes sense, what you yeah. say. Because as Paul was saying, all historical uh, flashes, or whatever his name is. Yeah, yeah, Flash. Oh, this whiskey's gone to my head. He's a big, <laughs> muscly, blonde kid. Big, yeah. white, muscle-bound, blonde lad who is a physical bully. Yeah. But Today's bullies, of course, there's still physical bullies out there. Yeah, yeah. But it's all about the cyber bullying and yeah, yeah. It's it's a, it's it's all behind closed doors. It's behind the screen. That's that's where this flash originates from. He, it's quite obvious to see that on occasion he might have text Peter a horrible thing about mm. him. But I think they might say, maybe in the next film, they might take something from the Amazing Spider-Man films where the Flash Thompson in that film actually came up to him and was saying, like, I'm sorry about your uncle. I think he might have actually been like that, but, like, gave it a month and then started back with, like, the bullying. So, historically, who does Flash Thompson become? Agent Venom. So, it's Venom, isn't it? Yeah. But that's me one one tiny little gripe with the way this character was played. I cannot see Tony Revolori become an Agent Venom. I can't see it. And I don't think we'll ever see Agent Venom. No, it's probably not in their plans. They've got Tom Hardy I, now. They're not going to. No, I know, him. but I I actually want Agent Venom because I have read the odd comic and he's actually a really good character. Really good. I just I we're not going to see that version of. Of Venom in any way. I know, and it pains me to to understand that. <laughs> they're going, they're going. Apparently, they're going down the ultimate route in that the the suit is made and it's not a symbiote. So, the cure for cancer one. Yeah. Well, that could work. I can see that. Oh, it could be developed by Osborne Industries. Hmm. 
I'm just theorising that. So then, moving on to the, the I suppose, the, the smaller side characters. First up is Matt Gargan, played by Michael Mando. We'll, we'll go on to him when we get to the, the end credit scenes, I think. Um, yeah. So that leaves <laughs> us with, first of all, the, the two versions of the Shocker. Jackson Bryce, mm-hmm. played by Logan Marshall Green, who, in fact, seems like a little bit Tom Hardy-like. Um in my eyes, and then obviously the second version of Herman Schultz, played by Joaquin Woodbine. Weirdly, in the comics, they were actually the other way round. Um, oh, Schultz came first. Yeah, Schultz yeah. was the first one, and then then uh, Bryce was the second one. Did you like the, the change round of the, the dynamic? Obviously, I think Herman is obviously the one that's most well-known, so it's not a surprise he's been the one that's left standing yeah. as such. Mm. See, I I think he'll just become a small a small time crook that like you he'll do like an amazing Spider-Man two. He'll get taken down at the start of the second film. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Don't you think he's going to be part of the Sinister Six? No, he has been part of the Sinister Sinister Six. And get me blurred out. Um, but I think I, they're going to go more with the larger villains like Doc Ock, Mysterio, Craven, etc. And wasn't there a mask in the in the some footage of a mask for this villain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say, guys, what did you think of the way they approached his costume? That it was quite understated. The colours were there. I was familiar with the colours of Shocker. I, I like, uh, I like the quilt aspect on the, um, on the sleeves because that's just mm-hmm. a nod, isn't it? Because that's what I like about these modern day comic book films. It's all nods. You get the odd one that's like right in your face, like say Deadpool, which is exactly ripped straight from the comics with the eyes and everything, but I like the nods more because I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Mm. That's what I liked about this shocker. I think, the thing is as well, I mean, we've, I think we've probably discussed this in the past, that certainly with, with things like <laughs> stand acts on some characters is really hard to take seriously in a modern context. Mm. So I think they have to find more stylish ways of of getting that image across. Well, yeah, because, I mean, look at the Vulture. If you look at the original 60s costume for the Vulture, <laughs> imagine that flying around today on, on a Marvel film. That Which was film the version they wasn't it? Into, and they uh, did a modern twist on it, and it was mm. absolutely brilliant. Yeah. A Chitauri flight tech suit, and the, uh, what what was it he had? Like, the, the pilot's jacket. With like the feathers around the neck, well, yeah, the, yeah, that was mm. just a brilliant way to bring that to life. <laughs> just hats off to the comic, the uh, comic book and costume department. So I think a big thumbs up for Shocker from us, yeah. Yeah. So the next kind of minor villain, the Tinkerer, um, played <laughs> by Michael Chernus, really, I like really it. underused and underutilized. He just sat in the background most of the time. Yeah, and I'll also be honest when I say this, I actually sort of wanted an older character because when you read the Tinkerer sort of panels in a comic book, he's a really older guy and he's very knowledgeable in his area. I mean, obviously that guy was because he built the full, the Vulture's suit, but mm. I kind of felt like he'd literally just walked out of college. So I was, I, I loved him. And he I didn't seem to change much because it was eight years later, had he? It was... Yeah. Did anyone else notice the timeline screw up as well? I've seen that mention elsewhere. It's it's out by a year or two, isn't it? Yeah. It it screws up between um 
Civil War and Avengers and this film. Mm. It's, it's like, it says like eight years later after the, um, the first Avengers, which is 2012, so that would make it 2020. But Civil War apparently takes place in 2016, and then Spider Man Homecoming t- takes place yeah. in six months later. Yeah, I, I've so. seen a few comments online about that where people think that they got that wrong. Yeah, it, it should only be it should be a couple of years less if you're jumping forward from from the time yeah. of Avengers. Should be like five max. Yeah, not eight. Mm. And then, I'm sure so they just like put numbers in a hat and just pluck the number. <laughs> then obviously moving on to the the last of those those minor characters, I think, and probably the most popular one of all of them, um, the former voice of Miles Morales. Donald Glover playing a childish Gambino. A That's something small, for the younger kids. Playing kind of a smaller role, um, but obviously a more vital future role, I would imagine. Oh yeah. Um, despite the fact that he wasn't in the film that much, he kind of set out future stories, and obviously, in his, not just in his role as the prowler. Um, but obviously, his, yeah, because I must admit, I wasn't familiar with his character, yeah. so. But obviously, his possible future web-headed nephew uh, in Miles Morales ah, himself. Ah, that's his background. Uh-huh. I'll be honest. The only reason I knew who the Prowler was was the video game Spider-Man friend or foe. I had no idea who that person was beforehand. He, he was always going to be. He was always going to be connected to Miles Morales somewhere. Yeah, because obviously, because I I got the, I got a little reference about the nephew thing. Yeah, I got that. So, so yeah, and I, I I've always really enjoyed him. I like Community. Tony, I know you've watched Community as well. I've I've seen bits of the first series. I need to watch it all actually on the back of that because I think he was great in him when I saw it. So, and I did find myself thinking, I can't wait to see what he does in the new Star Wars film. <laughs> yeah, obviously. So I was watching it. Lando. Hmm. In, in Han Solo, so I I really enjoy his performances in whatever I've seen him in. So it's quite nice to have him in there for me, um, and obviously still sticking around and possibly making a huge dent in the Star Wars, uh, the Spider-Man mythology. So so I think that's that's our look at all all the real major characters. There's a couple that we're going to go back to later on um, that have more of an impact later on in the film. I think. Um, so we're going to move on to, to looking at some of the huge action set pieces and there there was a lot more in, in Spider-Man than there has been in some of the other MCU films I, I feel so first one we're going to look at is, is the one that we we saw quite a lot of in the trailers early on um, featuring Spidey trying to take down some of what he thought were just bank robbers dressed as Avengers um, <laughs> only to find that they packed some punch because of the technology that Toons has given us. Um, it, it was a larger scene than I was expecting it to be. I thought it yeah. was going to be a throwaway scene and that was going to be it, but it actually had some impact on the whole film right from the word go. Yeah. Mm. It actually reminded me of Luke Cage. Yeah, there's a, it's, there's a definite feeling to it, the same, that street level yeah. fight. Yeah. yeah. It was absolutely brilliant and it was the first time you get to see the the 
the villain's um, weapons and the, what their full capability. And you're like, oh, dearie me, this is going to get real. You know, it, it was. I, I just really loved it. Yeah, and I love the the little line of him saying, "Oh, it's nice to finally meet you, Hulk and Thor." Yeah. Which I thought was mm. great. Just, just that complete nod that they weren't in civil war. Yeah. Uh, which indeed. I thought was brilliant, and now it really sets up Infinity War for when he actually does meet them. Mm. Yeah. More do gushing. Reckon, do you reckon just really quick on that Infinity War thing? Do you think he's gonna have Spider Man? Like, do you think he's gonna have the same sort of dynamic with the Hulk as he has in the comics, where he's like, it's like he's his little brother, and he but he's like massive and he takes care. of It's like George and Lenny from Mice and Men, and like the, the little is, guy takes care of the big guy. You look at it, and they're both geniuses. Yeah, so they should be yeah. friends. They should have that partnership. Yeah. So I was crossed. Was Peter Parker a genius in this film, or did he have everything handed to him on Tony Stark's silver plate? No, Both. I think I think he proves himself later on in the film when he hasn't got yeah. Stark back in yeah. that he quite clearly is capable of doing what he needs to do. Yeah, because if you look in when you think about it, he actually made the web shooters himself. Stark based the new design of the web shooters on the original ones that he himself made. Peter already makes his own web fluid, which you actually see him making in school. Mm. And he's got like four or five jars of different versions of the web fluid under his mm. um, locker in the school. Yeah. So to come back to your point, Craig, I think it's both actually because... He gets loads of tech upgrades from Stark, but he actually, it's all based off his own ideas, the majority yeah. of it. But would you guys agree that kind of one of the, the themes of the film is uh, is to show that he isn't always as clever as he thinks he is? That's kind of one of the points of the arcs. Yeah. Mm. yeah. He sort of bigs himself up a little bit because he thinks, oh, I've got this fancy new suit, it can do everything for mm. me. I've oh. just got to point me hands to shoot the web now I also but no that, it still requires the physical effort yeah i also feel that the, that the same can be said about stark though in the way that he thought he knew what peter was about yet he didn't yeah and it kind of once again knocks stark on his backside to mm. realize that he's got it wrong again yeah so the I thing for me ways. is no, when that suit finally powers off and you see the full capabilities of this unbelievable piece of tech. Where is Peter Parker keeping the batteries for that? Up his ass. And <laughs> is it USB rechargeable? Solar power. Has he got what? And the Wi-Fi is brilliant on it, isn't it? It's yeah. fantastic. Maybe it, maybe it works like a clock when he swings on his webs. It powers it up. Oh, it's self-charging. Maybe. <laughs> So, kind of, I think moving on to the ne next set piece was kind of when Pete and Ned are attending the party at Liz's house, when Spider-Man's mm. meant to make his guest appearance at the party, only for for Peter to be distracted by, once again, these thugs, and obviously yeah. our introduction to, to the Prowler as well in the same scene. Um, yeah. Basically doing an arms deal, but kind of proving how great their weapons are, yet the Prowler doesn't actually want those weapons. 
he wants something very wants very simple off the street. yeah yeah um and it, it's one of the the smaller set pieces i think um are the ones we're going to look at but it also leads us down the road of of davis giving away though the, the information for later on in the film kind of gives pete that idea it kind of kind of sets pete up as where he needs to be going i think in yeah. that scene it's it's more of a setup than it is about the action for me in that scene well just on that party scene this is like the the teenager in me coming out again but it's that is something that would be really typical of a teenager with superpowers you would want to show that off even if you did have that desire to keep a secret identity you would want to big yourself up like your normal self the side that everyone sees of you you would want to big that up saying oh yeah i'm friends with a superhero but my best mate actually knows that i am that person and i just think john watts the director who i'm actually i think did he do ferris bueller am i right in saying that did he no 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 that well that's my head gone because someone told me he did but um well he's done loads of other teen films i'm i've been told but um that's like that's something that you would do and that's just great directing because it appeals to the teen audience and I, th- I think that at that point as well, you can see Pete is kind of conflicted as to what to do, whether to whether he is going to show up as Spider-Man. And I think, again, that's possibly a little nod to, to Uncle Ben. Obviously, the last time he tried to show off, something half bad happened to him. And I think it, yeah. it's kind of holding him back at times in that situation. So I, there are... There's obviously less subtle moments with the mention of of the bad things happening, but I also I see it in the background of Pete's mind as well. Um, that he does kind of hold back because of what's happened. Yeah. So the the third and fourth major action scenes kind of tie in with each other. Um, obviously having quit quit the team, Pete then returns to the, the academic competition team, um, to take part in an event in, in Washington DC after he finds out um, having tracked the the villains, the the thugs as such, um, to a lo- uh, somewhere local to Washington DC that he could easily get to. Um, he tracks them and, and despite that offer of going swimming with Liz, um, he, he heads off um, by himself um, to try and take them down, but is stopped obviously by Tombs this time, for the first time. Yeah. He actually comes up against the Vulture for the first time. Um, and finds that that technology is way more advanced than he thought. Um, That's a great moment, actually, that yeah. when he's pushing nowhere. With Tombs he just, like, fishes him out of the sky, like, yeah. well, like a vulture. Yeah, but, but obviously then Tombs phases through the, the truck um, mm-hmm. and leaves Peter stuck in the truck. Um, <laughs> where he... It's actually poss- probably the mo- most jovial action scene um, of the film. You expect some comedy from from Spider-Man and I think you get a bit of it here obviously yeah. knocking himself out trying to get out and then <laughs> waking up in the highest security building in the, in the US <laughs> and not being able to yeah. get out um, and obviously in in this scene we also learn about 
Karen is AI uh, in the suit. Oh, yeah. um, nice little bit of knowledge on that, played by Jennifer Connolly, former yep. Betty Ross uh, in The Incredible Hulk, and also the Vision's real life wife. Mm. So that was a. It's nice that they're they're kind of keeping it in the family as such. I should say. Yeah. Really. Um, that that scene was just probably the the funniest scene in the film. <laughs> I think of him trying to work out how to get out and. Yeah. See, I I like if they do like expansion scenes in the Blu-ray release for the film. I'd really like an extended version of that scene where she actually shows him in the 37 minutes that he was supposedly in there almost everything that the suit can do. Now he's taking the train and wheels protocol off because I think that would just be hilarious because he'd be firing webs everywhere not knowing what something's going to do and like say like a ricochet web just comes and whacks him on the back of the head. <laughs> yeah, I just think it would be absolutely hilarious. They have been talking about doing one-shots again. Specifically oh, Spider-Man yes. ones. Because they've oh, yeah. been talking about it. So that could possibly yeah. work as one of those one-shots. Yeah. Of oh, him I'd just locked it. in that room. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was it was the most outright hilarious moment of the film. Of, of the main film. And we'll talk about an, another moment later on that leaves it in its dust. But but as I said, tying into that, that scene, obviously he, make, he finally gets his way out and heads back to Washington, D.C., um, I kind of feel this is where Spider-Man comes into his own, um, taking down the bad guys while also saving his friends at the same time with the with the attack on, um, is it the State Building? I think uh, the Washington Monument. In fact, yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, this was possibly the the most stunning set piece for me. Um, no, I'd agree. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere, spiders. Spider-Man's never been as Washington in any of the films, so it was something brand new. And it just obviously, we know that a lot of like the Captain America films have been filmed in Washington, things like that. But it was the first time that Spider-Man has, has played there. But again, it was it was fairly well spoiled by trailers early on. Um, there wasn't much more to it, but as I said, it was still visually stunning on its own. Mm. No, it's a good sequence. Um, particularly the, the expanded version of the wings uh, over the top of the helicopters. When we see the, the full scene, in, in, I thought that was a really nice little sequence where he uses the copters to sort of get his momentum. Oh, yeah. I, I, lo- I love the way, actually, when he's climbing up. And, like, this is where I think they're going to... Have you seen the article where it says um, they're not going to expand on Spider-Sense in these films? Well, it uh-huh. says that there's... There's a possibility they will. They didn't want to show it in the in the first one um, because yeah, well, I've used had it quite a lot. I've had a little think about this. I've got a feeling that the suit has got inbuilt sensors. It's going to replace and, them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be a spider sense because Karen is going to say, "Oh, someone's about to hit you in the back of the head with like a, a pole or something," and he'll just turn on like grab it or something. Yeah, there are moments in the films when he quite clearly displays that he has got some form of sixth sense where he dodges out of the way certainly in well, I mean, first, he dodges out the way film. in the bank robbers punches but yeah. I mean you probably see them coming a mile away but they just <laughs> you would imagine that there's something done in him that he needs to move out of the way and I, I think they just don't want to show it they're not specifically going here it is right in your face John Watt yeah. has actually come out and said look 
we just decided not to show it in a more liberal sense this time, like they have yeah. been in previous films. Do you mean it's like the way it was like slow motion or like yeah. a just like a little chime or something in the yeah. background or something like yeah all this right time they kind of just they said if it is there then it's in the background and even kevin feige said we've not decided whether we're going to use it to its full effect or not at the moment so yeah. it could be mm. that it comes comes in later on it could be something... i mean if, if they go the route of the of the uh the suit with the sensors i wouldn't mind that personally because i think it's a great substitute <laughs> Oh, just think, whilst we're on, on the subject of the suit, the senses, how funny are those sequences with his red eyes and the kill mode? Oh, my God. <laughs> the interrogation mode. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. yeah. What happened to your voice? What do you mean? What's wrong with your voice? Oh, that was funny. Yeah, the interrogation mode. And also, is it the instant kill mode or something like that? Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> and his eyes just glow, glow red. I love that. I'm kind of oh no! On. When he's when he's messing around on the um with the gas station with the taser webs and he's lighting it all up, I, mean, <laughs> I, I was I was in I was in fit laughing. It was funny. I'm kind of going on with the interrogation mode. Kind of a, a nice segue. Uh, the the final two action scenes. The the first one, um, the information he actually gets out of Davis when he uses the the interrogation mode um, <laughs> to find out that there's a deal going down on the satellite and ferry. Um, again, yeah. we'd seen a fair amount of that in the in the trailers. Um, a lot of the the main action pieces, and I think I think that's where that set a lot of people's worries with how much RDJ was going to be in the film. Um, yeah. Him kind of mm. turning up and clearing up for for the kids um, and realizing that they've both failed miserably in what they should be doing. Yeah. Um, and, and Peter failing badly on his chance to really impress Tony. Uh, I think this is also, it kind of shows how much Stark has been affected by what's come in previous films. He's obviously yeah. seen things go wrong, and he doesn't want them to be going like that anymore. And it's kind of, it's been in so many things that have been cataclysmic, that he's just got to that point where taking that, that suit away from Pete... Um, it's the turning point. And I think it, it kind of is the film's great responsibility moment. Yeah. yeah. Peter realises that he has to do things in a better way. Yeah. I guess well, from Tony's point of view, it's the one time recently where he's actually got some control of a situation. Yeah. yeah. Taking the suit away, that's it. That's all he can do. But that's enough. I, I quite like that line when they stood on the, uh, on the rooftop of that building and he says... If you're nothing without the suit, then you shouldn't have it. And that's yeah. quite right because it kind of drums home to Peter the thing that, like, the suit doesn't make the hero. No. Either. But I, it's a bit ironic with Iron Man saying it. What do you think about it? I was thinking, going, you little but bit that's, of But that's Tony. He is double standards. There's a lot of doubleness for Tony, isn't there? So. Oh, yeah. So moving on to that that final obviously the the final action piece um pete finds some clarity i think in that moment when he realizes that liz's dad is is tombs um, yeah on the night that he's meant to be going to homecoming with liz um yeah fighting that urge to take out tombs to start with only for then tombs to realize who pete is yeah um Oh, and that that stark warning from Tombs to to leave it alone. Yeah, that, 
has got to be one of. Yeah. Sorry, Paul. That Pete. I was just going to say it's got to be one of the best. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, <laughs> Carry on. Obviously, Pete doesn't take heed of that warning and leaves Liz standing. Um, yeah. At the, the homecoming dance and going after Tombs. I I, I, lo- I love the scene in the car. I was just going to say the same. Even even though you've seen it in the trailer, and he's saying like, "Don't mess with me." Because I will come for you and everyone you love. But I thought that it was a bit strange him saying that because would that not include his own daughter? It's the tension I love, that whole sequence from, from when yeah. he's talking about the trip and they keep cutting back to Toom's face. And he'd been the only person in the film that puts two and two together that Peter and yeah. Spokeman are always in the same place. Not but necessarily not necessarily the only person. Well, we'll talk about that later. But... um. It's just so well done. The music was just right. The pacing. Yeah. It's, it's probably one of the tensest inside a car scenes I've seen in a long time. And I loved it. In fact, it's probably one of my favourite scenes in the movie. Yeah. It's, uh, for me, it's probably one of my favourite scenes in any Marvel movie. Mm, I'd agree with that, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. right up there. Yeah, and it... I'd watch that over and over again. Yeah, you can certainly see why they picked Keaton for that role. Obviously, we've seen him in those kind of tense situations, obviously, with Batman, and yeah. etc. We, we've seen him kind of portray that before, and that kind mm. of really sells it to that point. You know what kind of actor Michael Keaton is. He sort of like took his Birdman character when you think about it. That was basically his, that was basically his Birdman character in that scene, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm. And so, well, like from from that moment that Spider-Man still splashes car uh, mm. to the iconic moment, obviously, and from Amazing Spider-Man 33 of Pete finding the strength to to lift the collapsing building off him. I don't think he'd quite got what needed to be done until that point. Yeah. I think finally at that point it clicked. He knew what he needed to do. Um, yeah. I, that, that scene particularly was actually the bit that sold me Tom Holland as Spider-Man because it that scene actually shows the humanity in him because he actually starts he gets scared yeah. that he's going to stay under that rubble and for I help, thought, isn't he? yeah he start, he actually well I don't know if it was properly but he actually starts crying and mm. I'm thinking I knew it was coming like that the scene where he lifts all the rubble but I just it sold it for me that bit the thing with all the the, the scenes all the action sequences in the film they all step up and they all up the ante where in other films you can you can have a big climax battle in the middle of the film and then everything else feels flat with this it's it's literally like walking upstairs and it is it's it's as literally as coming of age with every battle He becomes a better person and a better superhero. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, obviously, once he learns that plan, kind of needing to stop the the Stark technology getting in in the wrong hands, and at the same time saving Happy's bacon, basically, um, mm. he does become that friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that we know and love, and yeah. not least letting the the villain live at the end of the the sequence. Which is something you can't say Marvel have been great with. They've been very trigger happy with killing their villains off. Mm. 
Did anyone else like the bit where um, just after he's lifted the rubble, you just see Michael Keaton just like a proper vulture pose on that billboard? I was just mm. I was looking at that thinking, yeah, that looks so badass. <laughs> he just looked perfect in that one little shot. It was so it was a throwaway shot, but it looked brilliant. It just added so much. What Paul's saying then, I'll go back to what Paul's saying. But it was the right ending because it's in keeping with Peter. Yeah. And, and he, he's all about justice at the end of the day. And that's the justice is for him getting his trial, going to prison. And Peter's done his job. And I thought it, it was a nice little scene. Mm. And that effectively that Toombs owes him his life. Um, as we kind of see slightly later on. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone... Uh, anyone got any theories as to who bought Stark Tower? Osborne. I see a lot of people say Osborne, and I tend to agree with that, I think, myself. See, I like it's that idea, but I'm it. sort of leaning towards the Daily Bugle. Yeah, that's the other option as well. Ah. I would prefer that so much. At the Daily Bugle, they couldn't afford it. I'm not being funny. <laughs> I, I, want, I want Flat Iron back, I'll be honest, from the original Raimi trilogy, but... Yeah, I'm, I've, my money's on the bugle, to be honest. Interesting. Yeah. So, then we just kind of come towards the end. Um, the introduction of Pete to the Avengers um, yeah. and his, his eventual refusal to join to join the group. <laughs> Plus that suit. What can we say about the, the suit that oh, he doesn't get to wear? It's so tantalising, wasn't it? Yeah. It's an iron suit. It wasn't even... And the Iron Spider. I'm sorry, I wasn't really. I wasn't that bothered. I've heard about this Iron Spider. It was retractable, though. Mm, true. You know, Tony, it probably stick a button and it comes out the back. Yeah. Me and me and Nick over at This After Dark did a kind of spur of the moment review, and we talked about that so a little bit, and it it kind of felt like it was a mix of multiple different versions. Yeah, like you've got the Iron Spider, you've got the the Spider-Man 2099 version in there with the colouring. It yeah. just seemed to be an amalgamation of kind of those suits that they probably aren't going to use. Yeah, there was the Future point. Foundation suit as well, yeah. actually, if you put the logo for it. Yeah. So it kind of did feel like a a mix and match, and obviously, this thing I can totally see why Peter didn't want to take on that mantle of being an Avenger after what he'd been through. It kind yeah. of felt like he now knew that he needed to yeah. be on Stick a lower level, be that be that friendly neighbourhood Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, before he could take on the big stuff. We all knew there was a double bluff, of course, in that scene, and they were going to open the door, yeah. and there they all were. You could see that coming a mile off, but yeah. it was still funny. Yeah. And we, we kind of have to mention at this point hey. the return of uh, Miss Pops. Yeah. Hey, we love Pepper. Was done. Uh, mm. the MCU. Um, but Sony obviously coughed up the money for her to come back. <laughs> and a nice ring. <laughs> yeah. Been well, holding on to that ring for 10 years. We say that. It's now been rumoured that she has been spotted on the set of Infinity War. Ah. Surprise me. Would not surprise me at all. So, I mean, that film's got a billion dollar budget. I'm yeah, sure they could squeeze something in for her. Yeah. And we like that. And I just wanted to say, where do you kind of feel, feel that leaves Peter within Infinity War? Where, where are we going to find him when it when it comes to that? I know it's now been said that 
um, Infinity War is more or less going to follow straight on from Thor Ragnarok. So it's not going to be that far in the future. Mm. Well, so, he must get sucked in through something at ground level, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I, enough, can't, I can't see Parker in space, to be honest. Is there enough time for him to do another Spider-Man? No, that, the next Spider-Man is after Avengers 4. Yeah. Oh, dearie me. Which is, yeah, by all accounts, going to be set literally seconds after the end of Avengers 4. <sighs> So we're going to see fallout. Yeah, we're going to see Peter's feelings in the aftermath of what happens. Yeah. So they're basically setting them up for the the next part of the MCU, aren't they? Yeah. Phase yeah. is it Phase Two or Phase Three? It's phase Five. Phase Five. <laughs> phase Five. Phase Five. Look at the So when yeah, was Phase Two? Phase Two uh, again after the first Avengers movie. Yeah. Oh, phase three. Phase Iron three Man was three. yeah. When was he? After. Iron uh, Man Age three. Of Ultron. Okay, phase four. We're in that now. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so he's basically he's going to have a bit part role in it, then, isn't he? He's going to be the he's going to be in the new Avengers. Let's be honest. If yeah. they rejig the the roster completely after Infinity War, he is yeah. going to be. In the new roster, which is a little let into our next episode, where we'll oh. be discussing who we think will be or who we want to be in the new new team of Avengers in the in the next phase. So, little uh, glimpse into the future for you there. Mm. Um, <laughs> and obviously now there's one character we've not spoken about, um, Aunt May. She hmm. didn't have a huge huge role in the film. She kind of was peppered in here and there. But obviously yeah. the another, the another character that was on. Ah, Peppered in. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of deserves uh, a mention for the the end bit. Um, yes, Bob. Oh, uh, that her last line in the film was just so funny. Yeah, and she f- she actually said she actually did film the whole line. And they she cut, did. They cut around it. Yeah, they said it. it I think you got it really. Well, yeah, yeah you, you can't. You really. can't just end on a what the. Can you? No. You can't. It, I mean, I've had to restrain myself there. I nearly went full through with it. But she but, delivers it so well. I just my chin just my hit the, my chin at the floor. And, oh shit! You know. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it was absolute genius because it again it makes this set of films different to the others, where yeah. Aunt May didn't know who he was. This kind of opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. I I think they're gonna um, sort of skate around it, you know. Does she? Does Aunt May know who he is in everything else? In the comics, she does eventually it, find out. Yeah, it was hinted a lot. It was actually hinted in the, the original films, actually, when you think about it. Yeah, but they never actually confirmed that she did definitely know. Oh, no. Oh, no. Because if they did, they'd be out raw. And has Aunt May ever been so so hot? No. <laughs> She's always been in her, at least her 70s. It's just a yeah. plus for for my generation. That's the only thing. To be fair, they've I got it right. Like, I did like the fact that she obviously didn't swallow Tony's flannel in the in- Whoa! <laughs> Freaking hell. It's flannel! She, she doesn't like him at all, as we discover, so... But she wasn't buying that. Yeah. So, moving on to the, the first mid-credits scene. Um, with the Vulture being obviously now in prison, after he was handed over. 
we, we we get our first look. Well, our first proper look at at Mac, or as he will be, the Scorpion um, mm. for future films, and it also kind of gives us an insight as to where Tombs is now in his mind. Quite clearly, he yeah. he feels something like he should protect Pete in some ways because he let him live and and things like that. But quite clearly, he still has plans. Yeah. As well. I've heard I've heard the two versions that yes he's protected him because he, he owes him a life debt basically. Yeah. Or he wants to finish it himself. Well either way it's a good it's a good reason why he didn't give him up either way. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Do do we all think that Scorpion will break out of the raft and or Staten Island prison or whatever it is and be the the villain for the next film? I think he's going to be one of them yeah. if they have a couple coming around. There's rumours yeah, that he's you... possibly going to be in silver and white, silver oh. and black, even um, see, as one of their villains in that. Yeah. See, because when you think about it, this film actually avoided the curse of multiple villains. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're cameos, aren't they? They're setups and nods, yeah. like you were saying that's, earlier. That, that's what I was thinking. Because if the the more it's like you said with Aunt May, like those other villains are actually sort of just sprinkled in, mm. rather than like a full-on thing like Spider-Man Three or Amazing Spider-Man Two. Yeah, every Marvel film of late is setting up for something. That you know what I mean? It's yeah. not just a story. It does so many setups, and you can become bogged down by that. Um, maybe not in this one, but there was definitely setups galore. But it didn't sort of bog the film down to any great degree. Yeah. People, people like me, you've got no idea what the fuck you've just been talking about for the last hour. <laughs> um, you know, it it just washes over me all this setting up stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you could, it, Craig, yeah, if you could pick any villain, Spider-Man villain for the next film, whether they've been used before or not. Who would you have? Um, I like the lizard. I'd like a different interpretation, yeah, but mm. because <laughs> Craig's really with the lounge lizard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I only ever had one comic book as a kid, and it wasn't because I was poor. It was just because I only ever yeah, had get, one. Get comic the violin book. out, lads! Get the violin. And and it was a Spider Man comic book it was the only one I ever had my brother was into comics I wasn't <laughs> and the villain was the scorpion no it wasn't it was the lizard fella yeah, yeah. and Spider-Man goes over to America to, to London and London is set like in thick fog and all this palab <laughs> you know like it is and uh, he batters a few villains finds out a bit of information that he needs and comes back and I'd lo- I'd love to find that comic book again. So that's oh, there you go. There's Spider-Man Two. We finally meet Captain Britain. Yeah, Spider-Man Two. In the, in I'm the just smog. throwing it out there, Mysterio. Oh. I was going to say Mephisto or uh, what you do on your Saturday nights is none of our business. <laughs> and, but I've said before I'd like to see Craven. Yeah, I would jo- like Craven. Jonathan. John. Jonathan oh. Craven. Oh, God. My villain <laughs> has, has now been used. 
in the Vulture. Vulture was always the one that I wanted to see on screen. If I was going to pick one for future, um, would actually be your uh, nickname chat, Tony, would be Morbius. Oh, I'd yeah. love to see Morbius and, and introduce Blade back into the, the MCU at the same oh, time. Oh, yes. So we need Blade. Shift, I'm shift there towards the one last bit of the MCU we haven't really seen. Yeah. Yeah. Sideways move from Doctor Strange to the even more supernatural, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We need Blade back. We even are, I think... If Wesley Snipes has got a little cameo and it's someone else playing Blade, I'll be happy. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm with you, Paul. I, I want to see the MCU finally do the supernatural element yeah. Yeah. properly. Yeah. It's so, the one we, we've had bits of it with Ghost Rider, of course, yeah. but not all of it. Yeah. So, last but not least, Captain Stephen Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> we knew um, he was in the film. But not to the extent with that that last scene. How more of an in joke could that be? Patience. (laughs) Is it an in joke? Yeah, it's it's basically mocking the people that stayed to watch the end credits. That's what I was going to say. Or is it mocking the people who have just spent their hard earned money to watch the film? Yeah. No, it's it's a loving loving dig, I think. Doesn't he look like he's put the beef on? He looked a bit chubby, didn't he? Um, It's a suit, I think. Yeah, and I'm assuming he he wasn't in training at that point. I know he hasn't filmed a lot of Infinity War. I don't think he's in the first part a huge amount. Wow. So I think he was probably... Did you guys... Did did the audience laugh as one, pretty much, as they did in mine? Yeah. We loved it. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the twist it was worth waiting for. It's just yeah. such a great in joke. <laughs> I got a lot. I knew he it was coming. Says, sometimes it doesn't pay off or something like that. Yeah. But that credit scene actually did pay off because it was so funny. Yeah. I got dirty looks galore because a load of people around me, about 20 people, stood up to walk out. And I was like, whoa, sit down, sit down. There's, there's, there's a scene coming, there's a scene coming. It's worth it, it's worth it. And when it came, they all just looked at me. <laughs> you should have turned around and gone, patience. Yeah. It's a virtue. So, that kind of wraps up everything I, I had to say about the episode. Did you guys have anything else you wanted to add? Um, the, the opening titles, the opening titles. The uh, uh, the orchestral uh, yes nod. the orchestral yes. Spider Man sixties tune which yes, will be like, that was perfection yeah oh, I, so it, it was a nod and um, I'd, uh, yeah it's it's the old you know we, we all grew up as kids on the playground Spider Man Spider Man bim 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 frying pan Pulled a kid, skid, killed a kid. Dun, 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 oh, you know. I was just going to say the only thing I wanted to add was just going back to the casting. How great it was to see Tyne Daly on screen. Oh, at the oh, start yeah. of the film, um, as the the woman from Damage Control. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Not seen Mary Beth Lacey in anything for years. No. So. Kind of on that point, if no one else has got anything else to, to add, we have to yep. do the Craig rating. On Craig the rating? Yeah. Out of 100? Out of I like 100. that. 
So, what's everybody's scores? Mm. 85 on, and above. Come on, Tony, you go first. You're the oldest. I would put it in the upper 80s, somewhere around 88. I like that. I'm going to go with 92. It's literally, to date, my favourite Marvel film ever. In fact, it's my favourite superhero film ever. Hmm. So there you go. Until the next one he watches. (laughs) Yeah. I think I give Wonder Woman 97, but that's only because there was a few nip slips and a bit of of gusset. Go on, carry on. Josh? I'll say I'll say 85 plus mm. 85 plus because I've about? got sli- I've got slight gripes with it and I still I, I, I know where things could have been tweaked and made a bit better but that's just my personal gripes I'm going to go just below yours Craig and I'm going to go 91 boom <laughs> <laughs> that's a good average across the four of us isn't yeah. it yeah. just there's nothing wrong about the film that I just there's a couple that have more meaning for me I mm. think that's that's mm. love it like the first Avengers like the first Iron Man the cat films are always going to hold a place for me because I think that's really where the MCU kicked off properly by bringing in probably at the time the most iconic character that they had before yeah. Spider-Man yeah. came back and it, it kind of those just hold a, a, a bit of a higher place for me. So it kind of sits in that five, sixth best MCU movie for me. Isn't it amazing how some people have now turned on the Sam Raimi Spider-Man? Yeah. And it, it, it's like saying which Batman is the best. They're both brilliant for different ways. Yeah. We all we all remember the first time we seen the first Spider-Man. You know, yeah, because um, Tobey Maguire was my first Spider-Man. Yeah, like, I I watched that first Spider-Man film when I was what <laughs> three four, and it was rated a fifteen apparently. And uh, I think it was a twelve because uh, we we tried to take Kerry's cousin in who was eleven, oh. and we all the way in we were saying, "What's your age? What's your age? What's your date of birth? What's your date of birth?" And it was one of the first films that was a twelve. I seem to remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he got it, and so they were pretty um, poo hot on it in the the picture house, and he got his the fella actually asked him his date of birth, and he got it wrong. Oh my god! And uh, he said, "So that makes you fourteen then." <laughs> and we <laughs> and we had to go and drive to another picture house to watch it. Oh my god! So, so I'll never. On that note, we've kind of touched. We probably think that, that Tom Holland possibly is the best Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Yep. Um, yeah. So yep. anybody that's listening, let us know if you feel the same and reasons if you don't. We'd love to hear from you on either our Twitter or our Facebook page. Uh, remember to go and catch all the rest of the, the Offstart Network podcast network shows and, and we'll see you next time. What the fuck?